That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek. I'm your host, Jason Greenblatt. With tensions rising across the world, diplomacy is needed perhaps now more than ever. During my time as former White House Middle East envoy and as one of the chief architects of peace between Israel and its Arab neighbors, I've had the chance to witness the power of diplomacy firsthand, and today, I would like to share that perspective with you. Shalom, salam, and welcome to The Diplomat. If you've been following the news over the last few days, there was a lot of speculation about whether Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi would visit Taiwan. Speaker Pelosi began her trip to Asia on Sunday and didn't include Taiwan on her official itinerary. But she did land there today, August 2nd, in the face of threats from China that there would be serious consequences for the visit. On Thursday of last week, ahead of the trip, President Xi Jinping of China told President Biden that those who play with fire will perish by it. Not very subtle, right? On Monday, ahead of the trip, China's foreign ministry spoke of serious consequences, and its spokesman said China's military would never sit idly by in response to such a gross interference in China's internal affairs. Also not subtle, nor ambiguous. More on the concept of ambiguity later in this podcast. The former editor-in-chief of the Global Times, the Global Times is considered by many to be Chinese state-run media, tweeted that the Chinese military had the right to forcibly dispel Pelosi's plane, and if ineffective, then shoot them down. Well, that's something, and really not ambiguous. Twitter, by the way, removed the post. In its place, there's now a message that says this tweet violated the Twitter rules. Let's rewind the tape and understand a bit about Taiwan for those of you who were not really following Taiwan before the last few days. Here's a little history. The official name of Taiwan is the Republic of China. The capital of Taiwan is Taipei. About 23.2 million people live there which means it's one of the most densely populated countries in the world. Taiwan came under full Chinese control in the 17th century under the Qing dynasty, which was the last imperial dynasty of China. In 1895, they gave up the island to Japan. In 1945, after Japan was defeated in World War II, China retook control over Taiwan. Before and after World War II, there was the Chinese Civil War, a conflict between Chinese nationalists and Chinese communists. There were two parts to that war. The first part, from roughly 1927 to 1937, is when the Chinese nationalists controlled most of China. From 1937 to 1945, the war was mostly on hold. The war resumed once it was apparent that Japan would be defeated. From 1945 to 1949, the second part of the war, the Chinese Communist Party gained the upper hand. In 1949, the Communists gained control of mainland China and established the People's Republic of China what most of us call China. The leadership of the Republic of China, what most of us call Taiwan, retreated to Taiwan. The People's Republic of China, meaning China, and the Republic of China, meaning Taiwan, have confusingly similar names. The People's Republic of China is run by a single party, the Chinese Communist Party. 
The general secretary is the head of the Chinese Communist Party and the highest-ranking official within the People's Republic of China. That person is Xi Jinping. The Republic of China, or Taiwan, which has its own currency, a widely accepted passport, postage stamps, armed forces, a constitution, and an independently elected president, is considered a democracy. Elections are free and fair. In presidential races, turnout usually exceeds 70%. Let's just go back to the 1950s for a moment. Since that time, there has been a political and military standoff between China and Taiwan. The Republic of China, Taiwan, claimed to be the legitimate government of China. Since the Republic of China lost control of mainland China, they only have jurisdiction over Taiwan. The People's Republic of China, China, claims the same under their One China policy, which they say includes Taiwan. There's been a ceasefire between the two sides since 1979, but there never was an armistice or peace treaty, and military tension pops up from time to time. Taiwan does not represent China at the UN. In 1971, UN members voted to recognize the People's Republic of China instead. China points to this history to say Taiwan was originally a Chinese province, and they want it back. But the Taiwanese point to the same history to argue that they were never part of the modern Chinese state that was first formed after the Chinese Communist Revolution in 1911, and they were not part of the People's Republic of China that was established in 1949. The People's Republic of China refuses to have diplomatic relations with countries that recognize Taiwan, and Taiwan only has diplomatic relations with 13 out of 193 UN member states and the Vatican. Yet, many countries have unofficial diplomatic ties through representative offices and other institutions which sort of function as consulates or de facto embassies. In short, the official position of the People's Republic of China that is China, is that Taiwan is part of China. China sees Taiwan as a breakaway province, which they will eventually control again, perhaps by force. Taiwan sees itself as an independent country with its own constitution and democratically elected leaders. And what does the United States say? Well, we're ambiguous in our policy. Intentionally so. As Newsweek reported earlier today, the Taiwan issue has been a flashpoint between the U.S. and China since the earliest days of the Chinese Communist Party's 1949 victory on the mainland and the establishment of a rival government by nationalists across the narrow strait. In 1979, the U.S. Congress passed the Taiwan Relations Act, which recognized the People's Republic of China, but defined the officially substantial but non-diplomatic relations between the U.S. and Taiwan. Through the American Institute in Taiwan, a non-governmental organization which is mandated by the Taiwan Relations Act, the U.S. carries out United States' unofficial relations with Taiwan. Taiwan is an important U.S. partner in trade and investment, health, semiconductor, and other supply chains that are critical to the U.S., investment, science, technology, education, and advancing democratic values. This unofficial, ambiguous, substantial, but no actual diplomatic relations relationship has been consistent across decades and across U.S. administrations. The U.S. opposes any unilateral changes to the status quo from China or Taiwan. The U.S. does not support Taiwan independence, and I hate to use the word funny here in light of the serious threats being issued over Speaker Pelosi's trip, but the U.S. expects that the differences between China and Taiwan are to be resolved by peaceful means. Honestly, that's funny and ridiculous. Does that sound realistic at all? Look at China's reaction to Nancy Pelosi's trip. When President Xi Jinping of China told President Biden 
that those who play with fire will perish by it. Does that sound peaceful? Our position is that we will make available defense articles and services as necessary to enable Taiwan to maintain a sufficient self-defense capability and maintains our capacity to resist any resort to force or other forms of coercion that would jeopardize the security or the social or economic system of Taiwan. Hmm, I wonder what that will look like. And if the war in Ukraine continues to rage, let's see how that plays out. If I were Taiwan, I'd be looking at this situation very, very carefully. But Taiwan is the United States' eighth largest trading partner. The U.S. is Taiwan's second largest trading partner. According to the State Department, U.S. exports of goods and services to Taiwan supported an estimated 188,000 American jobs in 2019. Taiwanese cumulative investment in the U.S. was nearly $137 billion in 2020. These investments directly supported an estimated 21,000 jobs in the U.S. and $1.5 billion in U.S. exports. So the relationship is important. Back in May, President Biden seemed to indicate he would defend Taiwan if China invaded. Here's President Biden in May. The idea that that it can be taken by force, just taken by force, is just not is just not appropriate. It will dislocate the entire region and be another action similar to what happened in in uh, in Ukraine. So it's a it's a burden that is even stronger. That clip was part of President Biden's response at a joint news conference in May with the Japanese Prime Minister when President Biden was asked whether the U.S. would be prepared to defend Taiwan if attacked. Just before the clip I played you, President Biden replied, yes, that's the commitment we made. President Biden also said we agree with the One China policy. We signed on to it, but the idea that it can just be taken by force, it's not, it's just not appropriate. President Biden's comments seem to break the U.S. government's strategic ambiguity policy on Taiwan, where the White House had been intentionally vague on whether it would come to Taiwan's aid if China invaded. The aim of the strategic ambiguity policy was thought to deter China from taking military action without the U.S. actually committing itself to war. Did President Biden change that strategic ambiguity policy with his words back in May? Note that at the end of the clip, President Biden said that the burden is even more for Taiwan than Ukraine. Was he committing to defending Taiwan if China invaded? Would he put American boots on the ground? A White House official said that President Biden's comments did not reflect a policy shift. Many argue that the White House actually walked back President Biden's comments. Under the One China policy, a cornerstone of diplomatic relations between Washington and Beijing, the U.S. diplomatically acknowledges China's position that there is only one Chinese government. But the U.S. does have a robust, unofficial relationship with Taiwan. Washington supplies military equipment to the island in accordance with the Taiwan Relations Act. And while that act does not require the U.S. to intervene militarily to defend Taiwan if China invades, it does say that we need to make sure Taiwan has the resources to defend itself and to deter Beijing from unilaterally unifying Taiwan and the mainland. So what does this policy of strategic ambiguity really mean? Well. Let's look to some of the statements coming out as a result of Speaker Pelosi's visit to Taiwan. Here's John Kirby today, the day that Nancy Pelosi landed in Taiwan. John is the National Security Council Strategic Coordinator for Communications. 
We think it's important that uh, the speaker has the opportunity to visit Taiwan, just like other members of Congress have over in just this year. Mm -hmm. uh, several bipartisan delegations have gone to Taiwan. We think that's important. Uh, we actually believe very strongly in our obligations under the Taiwan Relations Act to continue to support uh, Taiwan's self-defense. And as the president said after his meeting with President Xi, we also reaffirm the one China policy. We don't support Taiwan independence, but we absolutely do support the right and the prerogative of congressional leaders to include Speaker Pelosi to visit Taiwan if that's what she wants to do. There's no violation of any sovereignty issues here. Uh, her visit is very much in keeping with previous visits by congressional leaders, and I would add a former spe Speaker of the House. So John Kirby is saying that Speaker Pelosi's visit is not a violation of the one China policy and that the U.S. does not support Taiwan's independence. We do support congressional leaders visiting Taiwan. We also support U.S. obligations on the Taiwan Relations Act, which require the U.S. to support Taiwan's self-defense. Now that we have to put into practice saying the policy, the Taiwan policy out loud, in the face of China's really aggressive threats issued as a result of Nancy Pelosi's visit, sounds like a bunch of doublespeak, maybe triplespeak to me. I've been a lawyer for over three decades and a diplomat for several years. I don't understand the policy. It sounds like a bunch of inconsistent words and principles that can't truly be understood or mean anything practical. What I do understand is that we support congressional leaders to visit. Okay, that's easy to understand. But how can we say that we respect the one China policy, but also respect our obligations to support Taiwan's self-defense rights? Self-defense from who? China? If China takes control of Taiwan, what do we do? But if it's a one China policy, is China really taking control of Taiwan? How can we come to Taiwan's defense if we respect the one China policy? How can that be consistent? And what if China threatens the U.S. with a nuclear weapon or some other attack? You know, let's think about what's happening in Ukraine. How will we interpret the strategic ambiguity policy then? Who gets to interpret it? I've seen ambiguous documents in government. You know what happens? People fight about what they mean. They come up with arguments, some sound, some less so, to support the results that they want. It gets bogged down in politics. This one is going to be a disaster to interpret if push comes to shove, and we're going to need a quick answer in the face of a conflict. And Taiwan? How do they interpret it? Well, they're going to be subject to whichever U.S. administration is in power and the politics of that administration. Good luck to Taiwan if that happens. Can John Kirby or someone from the White House explain to the American public in clear, non-evasive English what we would do if Taiwan is attacked this week or at any time after this week? Do we know the answer? And if the leader of a co-equal branch of government of the United States, Nancy Pelosi, meets the leader of a country that we don't actually diplomatically recognize, and that visit is vigorously protested by China, whose one China policy we actually say we respect, then why is Nancy Pelosi meeting a leader in Taiwan not a violation of China's sovereignty? Are you following me there? I'm not taking a position here, but I am thoroughly confused. I get that we encourage congressional leaders to visit Taiwan and elsewhere. And Nancy Pelosi's trip is getting support, especially now that we've been threatened. And I get that we don't want this visit to trigger an escalation. And of course, we need to keep Speaker Pelosi safe as well as her team. But are we saying Taiwan is part of China or is it not part of China? And if it is part of China, then why didn't Nancy Pelosi visit in coordination with China? And if we think she doesn't have to coordinate with China and she's free to visit a leader of a country we don't actually diplomatically recognize, and that such a visit can be consistent with being part of China, then no problem, right? Is it me or is this strategic ambiguity a pile of nonsense meant to confuse and have us not take a clear position on where we actually stand? 
So we don't know what to think, and we don't know what we think. And in a time of crisis, how are we going to know what to think? We're still, how will we know what to do? John Kirby said nothing has changed. Nothing has changed about our Taiwan policy. What we would hope China will infer from everything we've done and everything we've said, including during the president's phone call, is that we're being consistent. That's an almost an exact quote. Um, consistent with what? With not taking a position? With pretending we have a position, but we really don't? And whoever is in charge when we need to take a position will make it up at that time? I don't see how we can say different things to different people and pretend it makes sense. But just to remind you, this is not a Biden administration thing. This is not a John Kirby creation. This ambiguity has existed for a long time. I sort of feel bad for John Kirby watching him on TV because he's doing his best to explain a policy that absolutely makes no sense. But it has become an issue now because of the significant threat resulting from Nancy Pelosi's visit. So it's this administration that needs to figure this out and be ready to take a position. Speaker Pelosi's visit to Taiwan is the highest-ranking visit by an American politician to the island in 25 years. The last one was made by Newt Gingrich. Here's the statement issued by Nancy Pelosi's office about her visit. Our congressional delegation's visit to Taiwan honors America's unwavering commitment to supporting Taiwan's vibrant democracy. Our visit is part of our broader trip to the Indo-Pacific, including Singapore, Malaysia, South Korea, and Japan, focused on mutual security, economic partnership, and democratic governance. Our discussions with Taiwan leadership will focus on reaffirming our support for our partner and on promoting our shared interests, including advancing a free and open Indo-Pacific region. America's solidarity with the 23 million people of Taiwan is more important today than ever as the world faces a choice between autocracy and democracy. She says a few other things and then ends with, the United States continues to oppose unilateral efforts to change the status quo. Look, a fine enough statement consistent with the Taiwan Relations Act, but I still don't know where we stand on this. What are others saying about Speaker Pelosi's trip? Some Senate Republicans, who often criticize Pelosi on domestic issues, commended her for the visit, one that several of them have made in recent years. A group of 26 Republicans, including Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, released a statement supporting House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's trip to Taiwan. They issued the statement just as she landed in Taiwan. Here's their statement. We support Speaker of the House of Representatives Nancy Pelosi's trip to Taiwan. For decades, members of the U.S. Congress, including previous Speakers of the House, have traveled to Taiwan. This travel is consistent with the U.S. one-China policy to which we are committed. We are also committed now more than ever to all elements of the Taiwan Relations Act. There we go. That same confusing ambiguity. But good on them for supporting Nancy Pelosi's visit. To give more flavor to the reaction of the Republican side of the aisle, Here's former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo from before the visit. She should absolutely go. Uh, I suppose six months ago it, it wouldn't have mattered as much, but once it was pretty clear she wanted to go there and intended to go there, uh, you can't pull that trip down because the Chinese Communist Party sends out some third-rate propagandist to threaten her or to threaten the United States of America. Uh, President Biden said, well, the military doesn't want her to go. That was an enormous tactical mistake especially against the backdrop of a broader relationship between the United States and China, one where China has now said that they provide limitless support to Russia. For them now to threaten the Speaker of the House and tell her where she can and can't go makes absolutely no sense. I've talked about uh, Hollywood backing down, putting things in particular movies. We've talked about Wall Street uh, kowtowing to the Chinese Communist Party, still operating where there's a million people in internment camps. For the Speaker of the House to kowtow in that same way, too, Fold to Chinese propaganda is a sign of weakness and one that the Chinese Communist Party will drive a truck through. What about our response to Chinese threats in advance of the visit? Here's Mike Pompeo again. 
Well, I would, I, I would first of all make sure we weren't on defense. One of the things that this administration has failed to understand is that if you're always defending, if they threaten and you're just just deciding whether to accede to the threat or not without responding in a material way, you can imagine lots of options. You could say, well, we're going we're gonna to reduce Chinese student visas by 50,000 next year if you fly an airplane up and threaten the Speaker of the House. You could say we're going to impose some economic pain on the Chinese. Right? There are so many tools. We have so much power. We're still the greatest nation in the history of civilization. And why does former Secretary Pompeo think this is so important? Here he is again, also from before the trip. The whole world's watching, especially our friends, the Japanese, the Australians, the South Koreans, all the countries in Southeast Asia. If President Biden pulls this trip down, and then we turn around and ask them someday, they say, hey, China's threatening you, we want you to respond to them. They're going to say, when you had your moment, you folded, we're going to fold too. China's counting on that. Here's what Taiwan had to say about Speaker Pelosi's visit. Taiwan's official central news agency reported that the island's military forces reinforced their preparations Tuesday morning and would remain at a strengthened state of readiness through midday Thursday. Well, I suppose that's comforting. They'll do their best to protect Speaker Pelosi and her team, and of course, Taiwan itself. Taiwan's defense ministry said in a statement that the military is closely monitoring all airspace and naval activity to ensure the island's security with determination, capability, and confidence. What do you think China thought about Nancy Pelosi's visit? China's foreign ministry released this statement today. In disregard of China's strong opposition and serious representations, Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives Nancy Pelosi visited China's Taiwan region. This is a serious violation of the One China Principle and the provisions of the three China-U.S. joint communiques. It has a severe impact on the political foundation of China-U.S. relations and seriously infringes upon China's sovereignty and territorial integrity. It gravely undermines peace and stability across the Taiwan Strait and sends a seriously wrong signal to the separate forces for Taiwan independence. China firmly opposes and sternly condemns this, and has made serious demarche and strong protests in the United States. As reported in today's Washington Post, Chinese maritime authorities announced additional military exercises in the South China Sea and live fire drills in the Bohai Sea near the Korean Peninsula this week. Reuters reported that Chinese jets flew close to the median line of the Taiwan Strait, the unofficial military boundary. A spokeswoman for the Chinese Foreign Ministry accused the United States of escalating tensions in the Taiwan Strait and warned of disastrous consequences if the U.S. mishandles the situation. The Chinese foreign minister said Tuesday that U.S. politicians who are playing with fire on the issue of Taiwan will come to no good end, according to a transcript released by the foreign ministry. By the way, in case you were curious, here's what Russia thinks. The deputy chair of Russia's Federation Council Foreign Affairs Committee said such a visit is an attempt to show the Yankees, he means it's the U.S., by the way, have the right to fly and sail wherever they want against the wishes of others. He called it a flamboyant pre-election PR move from Pelosi, which could undermine relations between China and the United States. So where are we? Well, for China, ultimately, Speaker Pelosi's visit poses a test for President Xi Jinping, who has to balance how to respond forcefully enough while he prepares for a critical leadership meeting this fall, but at the same time not risk a full-blown conflict with the United States, which could spill into something much wider. And for the Biden administration, maybe it's time to dust off the history of this ambiguous policy and start having the lawyers figure out what it really means, how we should interpret it and be ready to act or not act or act a little. Whatever we think it means, whatever it may require us to do or not require us to do, and whatever we think is best for the United States. 
Hopefully we won't need to act or not act on whatever that conclusion is, but we sure as heck ought to be ready with the answers. By the way, my new book is out, In the Path of Abraham. Please go on Amazon, take a look, order it. It is a must-read for anyone who wants to understand today's Middle East. Again, In the Path of Abraham, go to Amazon or wherever you get your books. Until next time, I'm Jason Greenblatt. This is The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek.